Welcome to another episode of the Virtual Coffee Break with the MXU Extension Dairy Team. FeedSave is a novel trade that has recently been included as part of the net merit. The Extension Dairy Team will have a series of meetings coming up in February centered around this topic, and I'll provide more information regarding that program after the episode. However, in today's episode, I'll meet with Dr. Michael Vandehart, who has been part of the team that has worked on this new trade, to briefly talk about what is it, what it means for the farm. Let's get started. There's one simple principle in a dairy farm. We feed cows to get milk. That, in a nutshell, is the overall arching idea about dairy. We have learned that not all cows does that at the same rate. and They are all different in the way they convert feed into milk. That term is what we call feed efficiency. And today, we brought in Dr. Michael Vanderhart from Michigan State University that has some experience working in feed efficiency, would you say, Mike? Yeah, my first paper was in 1997 regarding feed efficiency. Overall, what is feed efficiency? As you already pointed out, it's you look at the total amount of feed that your cows are eating, and you look at the total amount of milk that they produce, and you divide the one by the other. So it's milk produced per unit of feed. I'd like to add to that, there's really more than just milk coming from your farm, right? There's also coal animals. So hopefully your animals are being sold and the meat is being harvested. So we've got milk and meat coming from a farm. We divide that by the total amount of feed. That's feed efficiency. And not every cow is the same, converting feed into milk then? There's a lot of variation. So what factors can impact the way a cow does this conversion from feed to milk? So when I talk about feed efficiency, I like to break it out into two parts. One part is that as cows produce more and more milk, which we've been breeding cows, Holstein cows, especially in Jersey's other dairy breeds for milk really carefully for the last 80 years, ever since quantitative genetics really became established as a science. We've been breeding for more milk. And because we breed for more milk, cows eat more feed, but when they eat more feed to make more milk, they're using that feed to make milk, not just to maintain themselves. So a cow that's just eating enough feed to stay alive, like a lot of dry cows, they may be pregnant, so they've got a little bit more than that. A lot of wintering beef cows. A cow that's just staying alive, she eats enough feed to do that. That requires maybe six, seven, well, depending on the quality of the feed, 10, 10 pounds of feed, whatever. She's not using that feed efficiently at all because there's no product. She's just maintaining herself. She's keeping her heart beating, her brain thinking, her lungs moving. Her efficiency is zero. But now as she produces more and more milk, she's using all the extra feed for milk. And we say that's the dilution of maintenance. So she's diluting out the maintenance component of her feed as she eats more and more and feed efficiency goes up. That's a major factor that affects feed efficiency. And it's why in the last 80 years, the dairy industry is considerably more efficient than it was. And we now can produce more milk with 10 million cows than we produced with 25 million cows. That's the dilution of maintenance. It's uh, really the, the thing that we need to think about there is how much milk does a cow produce per unit of body weight? You can dilute out maintenance by either producing more milk, and of course we need to think about milk components, or by decreasing cow size, or by doing both together. For Holsteins, we've actually been increasing cow size over the last 50 years, a little bit, 
but they produce so much more milk that now they're eating at about three times their maintenance requirement. And they're only using really a third of their feed for maintenance, two thirds of their feed for milk. That's a major factor. So that will mean that the rate in which we have increased milk production per cow is way higher than the rate that we have increasing feed consumption. Then, I got to think about that. But let's just look at 100 years ago, the average dairy cow produced about 4,000 pounds of milk per year. Now she's up around 21,000 uh, across the US and in Michigan, a bit higher than that. So we've increased milk production, what, fivefold? Cows are eating, yeah, they're not eating five times more than they ate then, but they are eating more, uh, no question about it, but at least they're, you know, the amount of feed they're eating for maintenance hasn't really increased. So all the extra feed is being used uh, for production. That's good to know that we're moving in the right direction. So how, if I'm a producer, do I have to sit down and watch every cow eat and try to figure out how much she's eating to know how good is she converting? For now, we can just think about the average cow. So the average cow on your farm, the average cow in Michigan is producing more fivefold, but she's not eating five times more feed. So she's using feed much more efficiently than she did 100 years ago or even 20 years ago. When a cow eats more, you get about two pounds more milk for every pound of feed, something like that. Your question about variation brings up really the next part in thinking about feed efficiency. And that is that when a cow eats feed, she has to digest it. Then she has to metabolize it. Then she has to take those nutrients down to the level of the mammary gland, to the udder. And the cells in the udder then process those nutrients to make milk. Some cows do that more efficiently than others. And so we could really, there's a lot we could talk about here, but you know, we could think about the, the role of nutrition and how nutrition can impact, impact feed efficiency. But today, I think we're talking a little bit more about the differences between cows and genetics. And, and so we could talk about a term called residual feed intake. It sounds complicated, but it doesn't have to be because a better term maybe to think about instead of residual feed intake would be unjustified feed intake. So if a cow produces more, then, well, she should eat more. If a cow is bigger, well, I expect her to eat more. I don't necessarily like it that she eats more when she's bigger, but, you know, she'll have a greater salvage value someday as long as she's sold for meat. Some cows process nutrients more efficiently than others. We don't understand it very well, but we're pretty sure that some cows produce, they produce more heat from their feed instead of making milk. When you're all said and done with all of thinking about all of those things, we, we can look at the average cow and say, okay, the average cow takes 55 pounds of feed and makes 100 pounds of milk or 90 pounds of milk, whatever the average cow on your farm is doing. But some cows seem to do that more efficiently than others. I can remember on my dad's farm, we had one two-year-old that produced a lot of milk. Uh, back in the 1970s, she produced 100 pounds of milk. That was a lot in the 70s. But she ate a lot of feed because we had a magnet feeder where cows put a little magnet around their neck and then they could go to the magnet feeder and eat grain and she ate a lot of feed. Well, I don't know if she was really efficient or not, but she was efficient when you think about milk Per unit of body weight. She diluted out a lot of her maintenance requirement to make milk. But was she more efficient than the average cow in terms of justifiable feed intake? I'm not sure. That's the thing that we've been learning a lot about in the last 10 years. 
we have a big database to be able to look at, do some cows use their feed more efficiently to get it down to the level of nutrients hitting the udder than others? And the answer is yes. But on a farm, it's really difficult for uh, you to be able to see which cows those are. So I like to think about it sometimes in terms of economy of calories. When you get a check, that's your gross, right? And then you have to pay bills. You pay your gas bill, you pay your rent, you pay your car. And at the end of the day, you're going to end up with money that isn't used, that you can use to go out, to buy a boat, to do pretty much whatever you want. So when we move that into a cow, whatever she eats is their gross check. Then she has to start paying bills. That's maintenance. That's growth, that's heat increment, that's methane production. And at the end of the day, she's going to end up with a fraction of that check. That is the money or calories that she can use to buy milk or make milk. So what we are trying to do is to make sure that the amount we spend on bills is reduced. And then that will make a more feed efficient cow because then we're ending up with more of our check to make milk. Will that be the case? Yeah, that's a good analogy. And now you mentioned that there's a genetic component. So there's a trait for that. We can actually look at cows where we're selecting bulls and try to make more efficient cows in our herd. Yeah, so there's a, a new trait that is being used called feed saved. And feed saved is really composed of two parts. One is this idea that bigger animals require more feed for maintenance. So if you could get the same amount of milk from a cow that is, has a smaller body weight, that's gonna mean she'll be more efficient because she doesn't need to use as much feed for maintenance. That's all based on averages. But then the other part is this thing I talked about, residual feed intake or unjustified feed intake. And some cows simply eat more feed than we expected them to eat based on their body size and milk production than others. Well, I would rather have fewer of those animals in my farm. At least if a cow's gonna eat a lot of feed, I wanna I want have a reason she's eating a lot of feed. She produces a lot of milk or she has a bigger body weight and I can breed against body weight. Mm -hmm. But I also want to breed against this unjustified or residual feed intake. So feed saved is, is uh, both of those. And it's very difficult, of course, to measure feed saved of individual cows on your farm. But it's a genetic trait and we can use genomics to predict the feed saved value for each cow in a herd if we have her genotype. So then you're using a database for these predictions? Yeah, so over the last, ever since about 2010, uh, we got a large grant uh, and we are working with several other universities, Wisconsin, Iowa State, Florida. So we have about, I think right now, maybe 7,000 Holsteins in our database. And all of these cows, we've measured feed intake, body weight, milk production, milk composition, body, all sorts of things for each of these cows including their genotype. So we took a DNA sample and we had it uh, tested so that we could see, you know, what is this cow like genetically? So combining the genotype with the phenotype of the cow, the phenotype being what did she actually eat when we tested her and how much did she actually produce and was she gaining weight or not and how much did she weigh? Combining all of that together, we can come up with big equations that say, okay, based on this genotype, I expect this bull to produce daughters 
that eat maybe 200 pounds less feed per year than the average in your herd. So that's the feed save trade in nutshells. So with this database, do I have to worry that this trade will not work with the diet I'm feeding or where I am located? Yeah, that's a good question, Martine. So the, the data that we have is largely from Michigan State, Wisconsin, Iowa State, and Florida. Florida being the one in there that's not a Midwestern U.S. state. And most of those cows have been fed a typical Midwestern U.S. diet, which has a lot of corn and corn silage, not a lot of byproduct feeds. Florida, on the other hand, uh, has often very different diets than we do. Forages, for example, that, that have lower digest, uh, fiber digestibility and a lot of byproducts in there, less starch. But at Michigan State, anyway, we fed uh, several different diets, and you were part of one of those. That Some of those, we fed diets that were high in starch, like 30% starch, and compared that to diets that were only about 15% starch. And then we looked at how do cows rank for this residual feed intake trait um, when they're on a high starch diet versus a diet that's high in soy hulls and is low in starch. And the ranking was very similar, regardless of what diet we fed. We've now looked at high protein versus low protein diets, high forage versus low forage diets, high starch versus low starch diets. And in all cases, the ranking of cows is very, very similar regardless of diet. So I feel pretty comfortable that we breed for cows using our current database and the, the relationship of genotype and phenotype that's in our database, which is largely composed of cows on Midwestern U.S. diets, that even if you're in Florida or California or Brazil, it's going to result in cows that also use less feed than expected. We also are part of a large conglomerate of researchers across the world that are interested in feed efficiency. Uh, Canadians, many European countries, uh, Australians, just a whole host of countries that are part of that. And we really don't see a lot of difference in the feed save trait. So animals that are expected to be more efficient will be more efficient regardless of what diet we feed them. Their actual feed efficiency on one diet versus another diet might be different. That's a whole nother discussion. But the effect of breeding for feed efficiency is going to give you cows that are more efficient regardless of which diet we feed. That means that the cows that were the more efficient in one will continue to be the more efficient in the other one. All of our data suggests that right now, yes. And I'll just I'll point out one more thing on that, Martine, and that is that the Australians and uh, the folks from New Zealand, for example, are using this trait, and they're feeling confident that whether the cows are on pasture or whether the cows are being fed in a barn, that the trait is going to give you greater feed efficiency. So even for grazing systems, uh, this trait is expected to give you more efficient cows. That, that's very good. How much feed do I expect to save? Uh, by using this bull and the average, the top bulls for feed save will probably eat about 200 pounds less feed per lactation uh, than the average in the herd. That's not a huge decrease. It's only 1% of the total feed bill, but you do have to remember that it accumulates. So every generation eats 1% less than the last generation with the current 
feed save trait the way it's implemented into the net merit index. So then that will mean if you continue to make improvements in about five, six, seven years, then you're going to really will be making a big difference in your bills. So it's easier to think about it in terms of how much feed you actually need. But if you put it in 2021, 2022 uh, feed dollars, yeah, it's a 1% drop per generation, uh, which, you know, means in maybe 20 years, they're eating 5% less than you uh, would have otherwise expected. The thing that happens when we breed for feed saved is we are, we're breeding for smaller cows. And that one is a little easier to say, to, to say where we're heading. And that is that in the next 10 years, uh, using the current equation for net merit, which incorporates about 20% uh, of the net merit equation that's, that's being used right now is based on feed saved. We expect in about 10 years, Holsteins may weigh, on average, if everybody uses the new equation, Holsteins will weigh about 50 pounds less than they do today, on average. Which, when you think about it, is 50 pounds of body that we don't have to maintain. That's right. So we will continue to breed with the new net merit equation. We continue to breed for more milk, more milk fat, more milk protein, better health, but at the same time, a smaller body weight so that she has a lower maintenance requirement and requires less feed to give you that, that milk. So then this new feed safe trait is actually part of the net medit when I'm looking at a catalog? Yeah, as of last year. And you touch a little bit into it right now, but I would like to expand somehow. So you mentioned if I go the route of this feed safe trait, I will be negatively impacting size because I'll have uh, smaller cows. Any other relationships with any other components that I would like on my farms? Yeah, that's a good question. So first off, really would like to divide it into two parts. So the unjustified feed intake, I know that you know, some people say, okay, if we breed for cows that eat less than we expect for milk and body weight, does that mean that maybe they're going to have poor health or, or repro or, you know, those are really important questions, okay? But all the data that we have so far suggests that there's no correlation with any of those traits. So in other words, if you breed for cows with a negative residual feed intake, they eat less than expected, they have less unjustified feed intake, we don't think you're going to impact other important traits such as health or fertility and certainly milk yield. Or We don't think it's going to affect any of those. And that's not, I shouldn't say we, we don't think, we have data to say that it's not going to. Okay, that's good. That kind okay. of leaves a concern out that I'm not selecting for one thing damaging another one. I can do both pretty much. Yeah, and then the other part is that breeding for smaller Holsteins will also probably be a worthwhile thing to do because with the latest genetic correlations of body weight with other traits, uh, and this is not straight body weight, it's the body weight composite. That's what is used when we look at Holstein body weight. Body weight composite is a, is a combination of looking at stature and strength and body depth, rump, rump width, dairy form, all of those things together. One unit of body weight composite is assumed to be about 35 pounds of mature body weight. And if we look at the genetic correlation of, of the body weight composite with other traits, it's pretty interesting. So if you breed for animals with a higher body weight composite, you can expect them to have more health problems. The genetic correlation of the body weight composite with the health index is negative 0.26. So that's a fairly strong number. So breeding for, uh, and a lot of times uh, animals that weigh more are taller and, and stature is probably even worse than just straight body weight. So as we breed for taller cows, 
which we've been doing for the last 50 years, maybe 100 years, we have actually been breeding for animals that have poor health, uh, shorter productive lives, more calving problems. So they might look really nice, but we're actually doing detrimental things to our herd, I guess, in, in the yeah. overview so we, of we things. We really need to stop breeding for taller cows. <laughs> that I can say with uh, absolute confidence. The other thing about the body weight composite is it actually has negative genetic correlations with milk yield, protein yield, and fat yield, which is surprising, right? Part of the reason we bred for taller cows was, you know, back to the days when the only thing we really knew about cows was from the show ring. You know, we looked in the show ring and we saw oh, this nice, tall, angular cow. He said, she looks like she's going to produce more milk than that short, fatter cow. <laughs> so we bred for those. We didn't know, we didn't have good data on all the milk yields, but we could see what they looked like. And we said, this cow looks like she should, should produce more milk. Well, now, you know, that might have been true 100 years ago. But now we have data on milk production. So there's no reason to be breeding based on what a cow looks like, really. Let's just use the data and the data we have for her genetics. Let's use that to think about which cow is going to have more milk and, and be healthier. And, and the data shows right now that if you breed for animals with a higher body weight composite, taller, heavier, she's probably going to produce less milk certainly not more milk. So we really need to stop breeding for size and, and start breeding for, for animals that are slightly smaller. You know, maybe some farms don't want to do that. You just built a new barn. You think my, my stalls fit my, the current Holstein population perfectly. That's fine. Then uh, maybe you want to choose animals that are a little bit bigger, use net merit, and then maybe choose the animals that are on the slight positive side. Well, I wouldn't breed for for animals that are bigger for body weight composite, but just breed for animals that are neutral for body weight composite mm -hmm. as, you, as you look at those numbers. It will make sense that we wanted to go bigger because we're seeing more milk in the tank, but I'm glad that you mentioned today that there's two parts of that. More milk in the tank, we have to look at what's going in the cow and are we getting most of that out? And it seems that the bigger cow are doing that in a less efficient way because more energy then has to go to maintain that big body. It will make sense. When I look at my kids running around, they're so skinny that they can run and go up and down with no problem. And then I have to carry my big body around behind them. And certainly I'm spending more energy trying to chase them than they are. So that will make sense to me. That's true. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about your body, but it's, it is true. Yeah. So everything sounds good. But if I'm selecting for this trait, can I actually make a difference on the farm? Yeah. So the heritability of body weight is certainly very high. It's around 0.4, which is a... Uh, is a very high number. In other words, an animal's genetics explain a large part of how big she will be when she hits maturity. For RFI or unjustified feed intake, the heritability isn't quite isn't isn't as high. It's about 0.17. That's kind of medium in terms of the heritability of a lot of traits. Milk and body weight are higher, fertility is lower. But my geneticist friends anyway will certainly say 0.17 is a trait that's worth breeding for. If there's a lot of variability amongst cows and 17% of that variability can be explained by her genetics or her, her parents, that's a good enough number to be really using when we breed for cows. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a trait. Feed saved is a trait that's worth breeding for. And clearly the, the folks at the Animal Genomics Improvement Lab, um, the Council for Dairy Cattle Breeding and Genetics, um, all decided that they felt it was. It's now 20% of net merit. 
and it's 20% of net merit because we know that feed costs are a big part of your total feed costs on a farm, about half. So if we can start to breed for animals that eat less, well, it's worth doing, especially if we can do that while they also continue to produce as much milk or more milk, which we will do with net merit. And I'm glad you mentioned that because that brings things into perspective. You mentioned fertility is actually lower than the heritability of RFI, right? And we know that we can select for cows that have higher fertility and we've been successful doing that. So certainly if RFI is higher, we can see progress if we do select for RFI. Yeah, that's right, Martin. Well, sounds very interesting, uh, Dr. Van der Thank you very much for being with us today. Do you have any last remarks or anything else you want our producers to stay with? Thanks for inviting me to talk with you uh, today, Martine. And I just point out again that the, the use of feed saved, this new trait, when we breed animals, will result in cows that are a little bit smaller, so they have moderate body size, and they'll be able to consume feed into milk and body tissue even more efficiently than they do now, which for the farmer, you know, you may not see it, may not be easy to see, but it, but it will increase profits and it will increase environmental sustainability over time if we stick with it. And I would like to end the same way that I started. Remember, we feed cows to get milk. So the better we can do that, the better we are going to be as an industry. Thank you, Mike, for being with us today and thanks everybody for joining in. Thanks. Thanks, Dr. Van der Haar, for the information regarding this novel trait now available to farmers. I would like to take time to tell all our listeners in Michigan that if you're interested in learning more, the MSU Extension Dairy Team has a series of winter meetings coming up in February that will expand on this topic, while also presenting additional tools that can also help your farm be more efficient. The Managing Your Cows Genes for Greater Profit meetings will begin February 15 in Martin, Michigan, with sections on West Branch on February 17, Bad Axe on February 22nd, Cadillac on February 23rd and wrapping up on February 24th on St. John's. All meetings will be from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. and lunch is included as part of the $25 registration fee. You can register online or reach out to your local extension educator for registration or additional meeting information. And I hope you'll join us then.